is is Bean getting a Christmas gift this year? Is that something you guys do? Well, he is still working his way through the carton of that artesian dog water he got <laughs> gifted the other week. Hashtag sponsored, hashtag influencer. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to spoil him with more presents, but he has been a good boy, so who knows what Santa's got for him. You know, okay. that's the rules, right? I mean, I just wanted to let you know that if he did have his heart set on this uh, Kiwi bird squeaky toy from Mighty 10, mm. he's out of luck because that had to be recalled after complaints that it was inappropriate for a dog, Kiwi bird squeaky toy, given, you know, dogs and the threat that they pose to our native birds and all that. I I saw that, and that was one of those times you really wonder who signed this off in the board meeting. Yeah. It's great to have pride in our national bird, but let's not turn it into something for our dogs to chew and chase round if you throw it, you know, and <laughs> with it with their heads and I, I don't know, pull it apart. In Bean's case, though, no chance of him ever getting it. His mouth is actually too small for dog toys, so more often than not, he's cat toy only. <laughs> oh, Bean. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he doesn't get teased by the other dogs at the dog park with having such a small mouth. Not by other dogs because he, he doesn't really like other dogs. But friends who have cats do tease him when they recognise the cat toys that they have for their cats. Either way, though, I mean, we can categorically say Bean is no threat to our native birds. And on that note, let's crack into the show, shall we? Calder, this is Musical. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. With some fire brigades struggling to attract volunteer firefighters, are we at risk this summer. What is going on with AI and future warfare and what deals might be needed to ensure that we're protected? Struggling to know where to find the best water spots this summer? Well, Staff's Travel News Director gives her holiday picks. And scientists want better emoji diversity when it comes to animals, saying creepy crawlies are being unfairly left out. Keep the crawlies to yourselves, scientists. Anyway, we've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. As a hot Kiwi summer beckons, there are fears parts of New Zealand could be at risk due to a heavy reliance on volunteer firefighters. Newsable can reveal the total number of volunteers across the country has stayed stagnant in recent times, even as the country's population grows. Now, while officials maintain staffing levels are in the right ballpark, it does raise the question, how well are the regions prepared for a big blaze? Senior audio journalist Aaron Darman has been looking into the story and joins us now. Kia ora. So, do we have enough volunteer firefighters or not? Well, yes and no. So, I've been looking into this for a number of weeks now, and it isn't a one-size-fits-all issue. So, from the conversations I've had, there's certainly a sense that the total number of volunteer firefighters we have in New Zealand is about right. But it doesn't tell the whole story. So figures released in Newsable under the Official Information Act show a stock take of volunteer firefighters last year has us sitting at 11,700. That's the lowest since 2018, though not by much. And here's what Fire and Emergency Deputy National Commander Brendan Nally told me. You know, it's easy for me to sit here and look at the national number and say, well, that's about right. But the real picture is, is that there are some brigades, and it tends to be in our more isolated communities, that are struggling. It means looking at the total number is just part of the puzzle and part of this story has been exploring what it's like on the rural community frontline who typically rely on volunteer staff. So where are some of those pinch points? As you might imagine, the wild weather earlier this year in both Northland and Tairawhiti, Gisborne, has resulted in a drop in their volunteer firefighting numbers. So both are seen as areas that need a real boost and I'm told active recruitment campaigns are underway. 
Another really interesting one is Queenstown. I spoke to Ian Wright, who's the boss of the Korea Firefighters Union, and he had a warning for the tourist hotspot, saying it needs a helping hand. You've got a, a burgeoning population there with a lot of uh, property value, and it would be nice to have some assurity around some sort of response, because volunteering by nature, they're not on station. It just takes a little bit more time for them to get to the station. You know, there's a, a huge life risk in in a place like Queenstown, especially with all the transient migratory workers living in houses between 8 and 16 people in one house, which is a recipe for disaster, really. What's the difference between a volunteer firefighter and a professional full-time firefighter on staff? These are genuinely everyday mums and dads. They're not paid. There are more than 600 stations nationwide that rely on volunteers, and the job has really evolved over time. At one point, the focus may have only involved a hard hat and a hose. The volunteers have to attend medical incidents, car crashes, severe weather events, and one local even has a commercial boat they use for marine rescue. So they have to jump up and get to the station when the siren goes at any time of day or night if they're on duty. So we've got got a new government, which obviously means a new minister in charge. What have they had to say all about it? Fire and emergency is tucked into internal affairs. That's alongside other bits and bobs like passports and the pokies. And ex-Brooke Van Velden is the new minister. She's pretty confident we've got good volunteer numbers heading into summer. But she's also open to taking a look at whether or not career firefighters are well distributed across the country. So, for example, I mentioned Queenstown. As that population grows, is it time to get some full-time staff stood up down there? She also told me that the responsibility for the fire service will not be lost amongst that of the internal affairs portfolio. I can guarantee that won't happen. Within my first weeks of being minister, I've met with FENS. Um, They are a priority for me because I believe uh, that FENS is a backbone of our community, being there for other Kiwis when they're in need. Um, And everybody has huge respect for the work of our volunteer and career firefighters because they are there for people when we need them, sometimes at the most horrifying moments of someone's life. And I know the people in the fire service will be very happy to hear that indeed. Exactly, with so many things falling under that ministry, it could happen. Aaron, thank you so much for your time and for a feature-length version of this story. Check out our newsable feed later today. We'll be dropping a separate episode then and keep an eye on stuff.co.nz as well. Okay, I've been thinking about this all weekend. How many ham curry recipes did we get into the newsable inbox after our chat with Infrometrics' Brad Olsen last week? Tell me. Oh, sorry. Let me just check. What was that? One, two, three. None. <laughs> None. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, this is just me then. Yes, it is just you. Although if it does help, I did have a number of people text me directly uh, to comment on what an insane suggestion a ham curry is. Okay. Well, I'm... I'm <laughs> There's only one thing to do, then I'm going to make it myself. We weren't even planning on having ham for Christmas dinner this year, so I'm literally going to have to buy a specific ham to turn into a curry. You know what? You you don't have to. In fact, please don't do that. I think the radio silence from our inbox would indicate no one cooks them, no one wants them, and they should not (laughs) exist. Of course, though, if you do ever want to write to us about things that aren't so stomach-churning, you can always do that. We're newsable at stuff.co.nz. A new piece of legislation has been discussed in the US that pushes AI collaboration between the Five Eyes Security Group that includes New Zealand. The intelligence group Australia, Britain, Canada, us and the United States was formed after the Second World War and shares sensitive intelligence. 
Commentators are saying if the bill was passed, a combined approach to AI could help the group keep ahead of China. So to explain more about what's involved, we're joined now by Dr. Ruben Steff, a senior lecturer at the University of Waikato, where he lectures on international relations and global security. Kia ora, Ruben. Thank you for coming on Newsable. Kia ora, Imogen. Jess, great to be here. Are the members of Five Eyes seriously lagging behind China when it comes to AI and security? Is this what this is all about? What this is about is just we're at a period of such uncertainty right now where different countries will not entirely know what other countries' capabilities truly are because in some senses you're talking about artificial intelligence, which is smart software. So you could have a bunch of guys and girls in a bunker playing around with software, AI, drawing upon vast amounts of data now, if you're Joe Biden in Washington, D.C., or Christopher Luxon in Wellington, you, you may not have a very good way to, to gauge, okay, what, how good are the AI capabilities of this or that country relative to us? Why does it all start with legislation in the U.S., though, if it's about these five other partners that include four other countries? I don't know. I don't know to what degree there is discussions and coordination between the Five Eyes countries and then the Americans come along and go, oh, now we have this bill that we want to put through or whether this is almost more of a unilateral thing on behalf of the Americans where they go, hey, we got this bill, we're going to put it through and we just expect our Five Eyes partners to be on board and to come with us. But we should bear in mind that, you know, if you look at the UK and Australia through their AUKUS trilateral security arrangement, they already are kind of aligning on all these issues. So the question mark is maybe around Canada and New Zealand, to what degree we will or will not. Yeah. Do you imagine we join that group then, or do you see it being maybe another AUKUS agreement where we're pushed to the sidelines and not involved in decisions like this? We call it a strategic competition that's underway between the Americans and the Chinese, and then they have their allies and partners alongside of them. So these two big security orders are emerging. The Americans have the order, and then you have a kind of competing Chinese-Russian order that's emerging. And what they're doing is they're establishing different mechanisms of arrangements amongst the allies and partners. Sometimes the allies and partners are doing it independent of the big the big one, whether it's US or China. So things like AUKUS or this bill that we see in the US, we're going to see more of these things in the coming years. What do we know about how AI is being used in security and defence around the world at the moment and, and maybe its potential? So at the moment, it looks like it's being used in a pretty incremental way, but... Apparently, it's in use or slated for use in things like uh, automated turrets, drones, aircraft, spacecraft, submarines, missile targeting, missile defense systems, cybersecurity, electronic warfare, modeling, simulations, and so on. Just a uh, short list. <laughs> just a short list. No, but if you can think of something, you, AI will have an application to improve it, to enhance it. What happens when you go to the next level? I mean, we can conceive of... AI-led ground forces, sea forces, space forces, cyberspace forces, where it's all being run by artificial intelligence. You, you might have kind of commanders or lieutenants or what have you who are kind of the conductors, but all the, the battle bots, so to speak, we, we humans, soldiers are not that prevalent anymore on the field. You've handed it off to AI robotics. And so behind the scenes, you just have the kind of... Yeah, the conductors of the symphony of these networks and military systems. That That's a, a leap from where we are, but it's it's entirely conceivable at this stage. It's entirely plausible. It's what different countries are now thinking about how they might get to that get to that space and then what they would do. As side of the times, that is Ruben Steff, a senior lecturer <laughs> at the University of Waikato. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, good. Thanks, guys. 
Coming up, we've got Staff's Travel News Director to give us some of her secret summer beach hotspots for those of you still struggling to know where to go this Christmas break. And speaking of the break, we have recorded some extra bonus content so that your newsable withdrawals aren't too severe over Christmas. Give us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform and we can find you wherever you are on the beach, at the lake, just at home eating your body weight and Christmas leftovers. That's where I'll be. We are all eternally optimistic that when we get away from work, the sun will shine and everything will be calm and lovely. Please, 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 please. It's going to be time to hit the great outdoors and goodness me, we live in a country where there's choice on hand. So, what are the very best spots? Well, to help us with our planning for the perfect summer, we've enlisted Stuff's Chief Travel News Director, Juliet Sivertson. Juliet, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Now, this country is more than blessed with brilliant spots to visit, so we thought we'd start let's start at the coast. We've got beaches and summer. I mean, the perfect combination. Need we say more? What are some of the best beaches that you'd recommend up and down the country? Oh, I'm going to start with my go-to summer destination. I've been going back there year after year. We all have those spots we absolutely love. Yes. Anywhere in the Nelson-Tasman region, oh, that uh-huh. is such a favourite. Yes. Okay, now that you've said that, it makes total sense. Popular place, obviously most of the population of Christchurch <laughs> tends to go north up to Nelson Indeed. and Kei Beach. Beautiful spots. Kei obviously gets quite busy, so just before that, you've got Little Kaiteriteri, and then there's also Stevens Bay, which is one of my favourite spots. Beautiful for kayaking, for swimming. You've got that gorgeous clear water and the golden sands. Uh, and the one thing I like about Stevens Bay is that you have a little picnic spot as well, and they have some barbecues there, mm-hmm. and they're like quite old school barbecues, and so you have to bring like one of those metal um, disposable trays yes. that you get from the supermarket yes. as well. But it's really great for a post-swim or kayak sausage or a piece of steak or something like that. Now, other places around the country, obviously, uh, Ocean Beach in Hawke's Bay, that's a really beautiful one. It's a little bit more undeveloped, quite close to Havelock North. Big stretch of sand and it is a patrolled beach as well. Obviously, we can't talk about beaches without talking about summer safety Thank and you. water safety too. Swim between the flags. Uh, and the other one that I absolutely love is north of Auckland, Tiarai Beach. And it is this beautiful, beautiful white sand beach, clear waters, um, easy surf. So there's a surf school there if you're keen to learn to surf. It is so picturesque. It gets pretty hot there, obviously, in the heat of the day, uh, but it is gorgeous. So they're probably some of my favourite spots to go. Obviously, there are so many more. It's hard to list them all. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough question. Can someone correct me if I'm wrong as well? I believe they take the sand or some sand from Kaiteriteri Beach, and that's what's at Oriental Bay in Wellington? That's always the rumour. When they rebuilt Oriental Bay, they stole it from Nelson. Well, it's beautiful sand, so you can't really blame them. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. Anyway, moving on. Uh, rivers and lakes, where should we be uh, heading to? Of course, not everyone likes to be in the ocean. You've got to be a little bit hardier to swim in the lakes and the rivers because... Freezing. It, <laughs> it's freezing. I was going to say fresh, but yeah, freezing. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> and also with rivers and lakes, they can be sort of deceptively still, mm. but there are also some dangers. So you do need to be careful and keep an eye out on the conditions and choose some safe spots. Um, one of my favourite lakes to swim at or to go after a kayak or a stand-up paddleboard, Moak Lake, just outside of Queenstown. <gasps> yes, that is such a hidden gem, Juliet. Oh, isn't it beautiful? And on a super clear day, 
you get this gorgeous mirror reflection mm. of the mountains behind. And then probably up in the North Island, the other lake that's very popular with a lot of Kiwis, particularly if they're holidaying around in the Rotorua region, Lake Tarawera, one of New Zealand's biggest lakes, uh, rich in a lot of history, of course, and really beautiful, um, but very popular with people for swimming, but also for taking out the jet ski or the boats mm. and things like that. Um, and the thing about that region is because it's all geothermal, there are a few cool little hot spots around. And so there's the hot water beach, which not to be confused with the hot water beach in the Coromandel. Uh, Lake Tarawera has its own hot water beach. Um, I think you can only access it by boat, but mm. you can find little spots of hot pools. Magic. I love Ooh. it. Oh, thank you so much for letting us pick your brains on that, Juliet. That is Stuff's Chief Travel News Director, Juliet Siverson. Thank you. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Emma, you and I, we use emojis quite a bit at work, don't we? Yeah, we're always hitting that newsable Slack chat with ticks and thumbs up. I'm bringing the energy with the crying face emoji, the, the raised hands one, usually the nail polish. I like the nail polish one a lot. Yeah, your emoji game, it's tight. It's very tight. <laughs> I bring this up because a lot of work, as you probably be aware, has gone into making emojis more diverse, you know, when it comes to things like skin colour, gender identity, sexuality, but now... Nah. Scientists say there needs to be more diversity when it comes to the biodiversity on Earth. A study in the iScience Journal says the current emoji library is too geared towards those, you know, those superstar animals, the likes of your lions, your tigers, your bears. Oh, my. Ah, you wouldn't let me down there. It's so enthusiastic (laughs) as well. The journal says that plants, fungi and microorganisms are being left out and underrepresented. And they've got the stats to back this up because, of course, they do. They're scientists. They know what they're talking about. 76% of animal emojis on the current keyboard are vertebrates. That's essentially animals with bones. Only 1% are annelids, which are the likes of the worms and the leeches that make up loads of the animals in the animal kingdom, which means there's not a single tapeworm emoji for all those times that we talk about tapeworms. Mm. Uh, my first thoughts are that I think this might be scientists wanting to use emojis to talk to their scientist friends about science things. <laughs> I don't know if they've quite factored in that you and I wouldn't want the tapeworm to be used in an all everyday conversations. I just don't know if I talk about microorganisms <laughs> enough to need the emoji to you know, spice things up. Okay, so you're not going to write to the uh, people that d- decide these things, the Unicord Emoji Subcommittee, in support of this request from scientists then? No, I'm not. I will not be writing in support of them because I have my own bone to pick with the emoji creators. There's no daisy. Daisy's the best flower. What? Why wouldn't you have a Why wouldn't you have a daisy? Oh, well, look, we're talking about plants. We're going to add the daisy in, and we can yeah. tick two boxes here. Okay, that's but, you know, there's no podcast emoji. There's so many flipping podcasts out there. I feel like there should be a podcast emoji. Anyway, on that note, let's sashay out of here like that dancing lady in the red dress and say oh. that is newsable for today. I'm Jessica McCarthy. 
And I'm Imogen Wells. And in case anyone is as stupid as I am, did you know you can search in your emoji keyboard instead of like... You did not scrolling... You did not not know that. Come on. Okay, we're doing the podcast there. Yeah, I used to just swipe until I found the right spot. I'm glad that you're so much more productive now. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.